Chapter Five of Snarleyow by Frederick Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A consultation in which there is much mutiny. This consultation was held upon the forecastle of His Majesty's cutter Jungfrau on the evening after the punishment of Smallbones. The major part of the crew attended all but the corporal van spitter who on these points was known to split with the crew and his six marines who formed the corporal's tail at which they were always to be found the principal personage was not the most eloquent speaker for it was dick short who was supported by obadiah cobble yak jansen and another personage whom we must introduce the boatswain or boatswain's mate of the cutter for although he received the title of the former he only received the pay of the latter this person's real name was james salisbury but for reasons which will be explained he was invariably addressed or spoken of as jemmy ducks he was indeed a very singular variety of human discrepancy as to form he was handsome in face with a manly countenance fierce whiskers and long pigtail which on him appeared more than unusually long as it descended to within a foot of the deck his shoulders were square chest expanded and as far as halfway down that is to where the legs are inserted into the human frame he was a fine well-made handsome well-proportioned man but what a falling off was there for some reason some accident it is supposed in his infancy his legs had never grown in length since he was three years old they were stout as well as his body but not more than eighteen inches from the hip to the heel and he consequently waddled about a very ridiculous figure for he was like a man raised or cut down put him on an eminence of a couple of feet and not see his legs and you would say at a distance what a fine-looking sailor but let him get down and walk up to you and you would find that nature had not finished what she had so well begun and that you are exactly half mistaken this malconformation below did not however affect his strength it rather added to it and there were but few men in the ship who would venture a wrestle with the boatswain who was very appropriately distinguished by the cognomen of jemmy ducks jemmy was a sensible merry fellow and a good seaman you could not affront him by any jokes on his figure for he would joke with you he was indeed the fiddle of the ship's company and he always played the fiddle to them when they danced on which instrument he was no mean performer and moreover accompanied his voice with his instrument when he sang to them after they were tired of dancing we shall only observe that jemmy was a married man and he had selected one of the tallest of the other sex of her beauty the less that is said the better jemmy did not look to that or perhaps at such a height her face did not appear so plain to him as it did to those who were more on a level with it the effect of perspective is well known, and even children now have as playthings, castles, etc., laid down on card, which when looked at in a proper direction appear just as correct as they do preposterous when lying flat before you. 
now it happened that from the level that jemmy looked up from to his wife's face her inharmonious features were all in harmony and thus did she appear what is very advantageous in the marriage state perfection to her husband without sufficient charms in the eyes of others to induce them to seduce her from her liege lord moreover let it be recollected that what jemmy wanted was height and he had gained what he required in his wife if not in his own person his wife was passionately fond of him and very jealous which was not to be wondered at for as she said there never was such a husband before or since we must now return to the conference observing that all these parties were sitting down on the deck and that jemmy ducks had his fiddle in his hand holding it with the body downwards like a bass viol for he always played it in that way and that he occasionally fingered the strings pinching them as you do a guitar so as to send the sound of it aft that mr vanslyperken might suppose that they were all met for mirth two or three had their eyes directed aft that the appearance of corporal van spitter or the marines might be immediately perceived for although the corporal was not a figure to slide into a conference unperceived it was well known that he was an eavesdropper one thing sartin observed cobble that a dog's not an officer no replied dick short he's not on the ship's books so i can't see how it can be mutiny no rejoined short my god he is not a tog he is to tevil observed jansen who knows how he came into the cutter there's a queer story about that said one of the men tum tum tumpty tum said the fiddle of jemmy ducks as if it took part in the conference that poor boy will be killed if things go on this way the skipper will never be content till he has driven his soul out of his body poor creature only look at him as he lies in his hammock i never seed a christian such an object said one of the sailors if the dog ain't killed bones will be that's certain observed cobble and i don't see why the preference should be given to a human individual although the dog is the skipper's dog now then what do you say my lads tum 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 tumpty tumpty tum replied the fiddle let's hang him at once no replied short jansen took out his snickery looked at short and made a motion with the knife as if passing it across the dog's throat no replied short let's launch him overboard at night said one of the men but how is one to get the brute out of the cabin said cobble if it's done at all it must be done by day short nodded his head i will give him a launch the first opportunity observed jemmy ducks only continued he in a measured and lower tone i should first like to know whether he really is a dog or not a tog is a tog observed jansen yes replied one of the forecastle men we all know a dog is a dog but the question is is this dog a dog here there was a pause which jemmy ducks filled up by again touching the strings of his fiddle the fact was that 
although every one of the sailors wished the dog was overboard, there was not one who wished to commit the deed, not on account of the fear of its being discovered who was the party by Mr. Van Slyperken, but because there was a great deal of superstition among them. It was considered unlucky to throw any dog or animal overboard, but the strange stories told about the way in which Snarleyow first made his appearance in the vessel, added to the peculiarly diabolical temper of the animal, had often been the theme of midnight conversation, and many of them were convinced that it was an imp of Satan lent to Vanslyperken, and that to injure or to attempt to destroy it would infallibly be followed up with terrible consequences to the party, if not to the vessel and all the crew. Even Short, Cobble, and Jansen, who were the boldest and leading men, although when their sympathies were roused by the sufferings of poor Smallbones they were anxious to revenge him, had their own misgivings, and on consideration did not like to have anything to do with the business. But each of them kept their reflections to themselves, for if they could not combat they were too proud to acknowledge them. The reader will observe that all their plans were immediately put an end to until this important question, and not a little difficult one, was decided. Was the dog a dog? Now, although the story had often been told, yet, as the crew of the cutter had been paid off since the animal had been brought on board, there was no man in the ship who could positively detail, from his own knowledge, the facts connected with his first appearance. There was only tradition, and, to solve this riddle, to tradition they were obliged to repair. "'Now, Bill Spurry,' said Cobble, "'you know more about this matter than any one, so just spin us a yarn, and then we shall be able to talk the matter over soberly.' "'Well,' replied Bill Spurry, "'you shall have it, just as I got it, word for word, as near as I can recollect.' You know I wasn't in the craft when the thing came on board, but Bill Geary was, and it was one night when we were boozing over a stiff glass at the new shop there, the Orange Boven, as they call it, at the pint at Portsmouth, and so, you see, falling in with him, I wished to learn something about my new skipper, and what sort of a chap I should have to deal with. When I learnt all about him, I'd half a dozen minds to shove off again. But then I was adrift, and so I thought better of it. It won't do to be nice in peace times, you know, my lads, when all the big ships are rotting in Southampton and sink port muds. Well, then, what he told me I recollect as well, I, every word of it, as if he had whispered it into my ear but this minute. It was a blustering night with a dirty southwester, and the chafing of the harbor waves was thrown up in foams which the wind swept up the street, they chasing one another as if they were boys at play. It was about two bells in the middle watch, and after our fifth glass that Joe Geary said as this, it was one dark winter's night when we were off the Texel, blowing terribly, with a coast under our lee, 
clawing off under storm canvas and fighting with the elements for every inch of ground a hand in the chains for we had nothing but the lead to trust to and the vessel so flogged by the waves that he was lashed to the rigging that he might not be washed away all of a sudden the wind came with a blast loud enough for the last trump and the waves roared till they were hoarser than ever away went the vessel's mast although there was no more canvas on it than a jib pocket handkerchief and the craft rolled and tossed in the deep troughs for all the world like a wicked man dying in despair and then she was a wreck with nothing to help us but god almighty fast borne down upon the sands which the waters had disturbed and were dashing about until they themselves were weary of the load and all the seamen cried unto the lord as well they might now they say that he did not cry as they did like men and christians to him who made them and the waters which surrounded and threatened them for death was then in all his glory and the foaming crests of the waves were as plumes of feathers to his skeleton head beneath them but he cried like a child and swore terribly as well as cried talking about his money his dear money and not caring about his more precious soul and the cutter was borne down every wave pushing her with giant force nearer and nearer to destruction when the man at the chains shrieked out mark three and the lord have mercy on our souls and all the crew when they heard this cried out lord save us or we perish but still they thought that their time was come for the breaking waves were under their lee and the yellow water told them that in a few minutes the vessel and all who were on board would be shivered in fragments and some wept and some prayed as they clung to the bulwarks of the unguided vessel and others in a few minutes thought over their whole life and waited for death in silence but he he did all he cried and he prayed and he swore and he was silent and at last he became furious and frantic and when the men said again and again the lord save us he roared out at last will the devil help us for blank in a moment before these first words were out of his mouth there was a flash of lightning that appeared to strike the vessel but it harmed her not neither did any thunder follow the flash but a ball of blue flame pitched upon the night heads and then came bounding and dancing aft to the taffrail where he stood alone for the men had left him to blaspheme by himself some say he was heard to speak as if in conversation but no one knows what passed be it as it may on a sudden he walked forward as brave as could be and was followed by this creature who carried his head and tail slouching as he does now and the dog looked up and gave one deep bark and as soon as he had barked the wind appeared to lull he barked again twice and there was a dead calm he barked again thrice and the seas went down 
and he patted the dog on the head. And the animal then bayed loud for a minute or two, and then, to the astonishment and fear of all, instead of the vessel being within a cable's length of the Texel sands in a heavy gale, and without hope, the foreland lights were but two miles on our beam, with a clear sky and smooth water. The seaman finished his legend, and there was a dead silence for a minute or two, broken first by Jansen, who, in a low voice, said, Then the dog is not a dog. No, replied Cobble, an imp sent by the devil to his follower in distress. Yes, said Short. Well, but, said Jimmy Ducks, who for some time had left off touching the strings of his fiddle, it would be the work of a good Christian to kill the brute. It's not a mortal animal, Jimmy. True, I forgot that. Given by the devil, observed Jansen. Aye, and christened by him too, continued Cobble. Who ever heard any Christian brute with such a damnable name? Well, what's to be done? Why, replied Jimmy Ducks, at all events, impo-Satan or not, that ere Smallbones fought him to-day with his own weapons. And beat him, too, said Cobble. Yes, said Short. Now it's my opinion that Smallbones aren't afraid of him, continued Jimmy Ducks. And, devil or no devil, he'll kill him if he can. He's the proper person to do it, replied Cobble. The more so, as you may say, he's his natural enemy. Yes, mein Gott, de poy is de man, said Jansen. We'll put him up to it at all events, as soon as he is out of his hammock, rejoined Jimmy Ducks. A little more conversation took place, and that it was carried unanimously that Smallbones should destroy the animal, if it was possible to destroy it. The only party who was not consulted was Smallbones himself, who lay fast asleep in his hammock. The consultation then broke up, and they all went below. End of chapter 5 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina